0: self-published author and digital marketer Paul Teague.
1: Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 103 for Monday the 19th of February 2018. Today's interview is one of my take-two chats where I catch up with one of the authors I've spoken to before. Alison Ingleby is a newly published writer of sci-fi and dystopian fiction. When we first spoke she just received some rather bruising edits on her first book. I met Alison at an Amazon event in Manchester last year and was keen to chart her journey from the publication of that first book and beyond. We've now ended up co-presenting a new non-writing podcast together. It's amazing where a bit of networking could end up. When we chatted for the second time, I asked Alison if she feels like she's earned her self-publishing stripes yet.
2: Oh, I think so. Well, I've published my first book. So I think that's a, that's a bit of a milestone, isn't it? In a, in a self-publishing journey. Um, and goodness, when I think about this time, was it six, seven months ago, and how much has happened since then. It's um, it's pretty incredible, really.
1: When I spoke to you last time, you'd had a bit of a shock because you'd written your book and then you have got your edits back. And I think I've used <laughs> in the introduction the term uh, bru- bruising, but I think you were a little bit shell-shocked, weren't you, by the, by the edit? Um,
2: I don't think I was surprised, no, because I think I was kind of expecting um, and actually agreed with most of her comments, um, and actually quite a few of them when I'd would sort of gone back through on reflection, I'd I'd pick those up as well. Um, But I think getting that developmental edit for me as a new author was really important and really helped me make the book a lot better than certainly it was with that first draft. Um, And as a result of that, I I mean, I was kind of hoping that I'd I'd get the developmental edit, maybe, you you know, rewrite a couple of chapters, add an extra scene in here or there or take a bit out. I actually wanted to cut stuff out because um, my word count was well over what I wanted it to be. Um, and then I'd just kind of send it off to beta readers, do a copy edit, and that would be that. But I actually ended up pretty much rewriting about 90% of the book.
1: Ooh, that's so painful. That is mm-hmm. that is very painful. Uh, it was th-
2: painful, but it was a much better book at the end of it.
1: Well, and that's unfortunately is why we have to do it, isn't it? We have to make it better. Um, two things I want to talk to you about there. First of all, the, the development edit. Now, I've never had a development edit. I've only ever done the, the, the proofs and things. So I've done my own dev edit so um, for, for people who haven't had one what what do your notes look like when they come back from there what what do you get back
2: okay so i didn't have a full developmental edit because that would have cost four times as more Ooh. than what i did get um and quite frankly i couldn't afford it mm-hmm. <laughs> so i think with a full developmental edit you would get um all the c- kind of commentary on what needs fixing but you'd also get kind of detailed edits within the manuscript about specific points um you know, suggestions for character development, what needs to go here, what needs to be moved around and that kind of thing. So what I got was a manuscript critique, which I think is sometimes also called uh, an editorial review, which is basically my editor went through my manuscript and then she wrote up, I think it was about a 15 page document, which she addressed the major issues which she felt needed fixing in the manuscript. So she looked at different aspects of, of plot, continuity, character development, um, structure, tone of voice, the sort of style of, of writing. And I had two point of view characters, um, the language you used, all that kind of stuff. And also from a, a marketability perspective in terms of the genre I was writing in and the audience I was targeting and how well my manuscript fit that. So I got that and then I got um, a separate sort of spreadsheet really which was just a kind of one sentence comment on each of the chapters um just kind of saying at a slightly more detailed level what I specifically needed to address in those chapters
1: are you able to give us a, an indication roughly how much you spent on that what it cost you
2: um the manuscript critique was I can't remember exactly it was under 500 pounds
1: mm-hmm. okay just a ballpark figure is fine mm-hmm. just to get a, a feel for that so yeah. it'd have been 2000 for a, yeah a f- Ooh
2: for for manuscript of my length and she is she's not a cheap editor to be fair she's good she's really good and and she's probably worth the money but she's she's not cheap and i think you know i've seen people commenting on various sort of forums and facebook groups about editing prices it's one of these kind of contentious topics um and you know expensive isn't always better um but i think for the developmental side having someone who really understands what, what you're trying to achieve with the manuscript and, and can kind of help you make that a, a better product than that that's really helpful and for me i looked on it as training more than anything else so basically to help me become a better writer and get my head around how to properly structure and plot a novel that kind of thing
1: yeah i have a feeling i've come to that <laughs> too late because i'm just about <laughs> just about to pay for one i maybe should have paid for one three years ago um but uh 500 pounds is a lot of money for a new author because we've also got i mean what did you do about the proof and things like that did you do that yourself
2: so no so i had um so the same editor did my developmental i just copy edited it and i did get a proofreader on top of that as well although it, it was uh, that wasn't a very high cost it was, it was a low-cost proofreader and I'm not sure how much that person really necessarily added to it um I also had some very good beta readers who picked up on typos and things uh sort of those lingering typos which you just can't get rid of all of them
1: <laughs> that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because um one of the, one of the reasons I, I asked to do these interviews with you is because when we met in Manchester at the Amazon event you quite clearly had your head screwed on the right way, you know, in terms of getting ready to launch a book. You were doing pre-marketing. You were doing the things you needed to do before you even launched the book. And and you said there that you had a team of beta readers. Now, beta readers is something I've completely failed to crack so far. So uh, tell me about beta readers, how, how you recruited them and how that went.
2: Well, I only have, I only have a few. So I've used... Um... I think I got about nine or ten, actually, for my prequel novelette. So this was my reader magnet, which actually I, didn't, I paid for a cover for it, but I didn't pay any editing costs for that. Um, I got my beta readers to look through it, and I also got my parents to look through it, who are they're pretty good at picking up on um, grammar and typos. I've, I've, had, I've had comments on that book to say how well edited it is. Oh, right, really? Brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um yeah (laughs) so there you go um but for that i recruited beta readers through a facebook group so there was a facebook group called i think something like beta readers and critiques and i posted on there with a synopsis of my book and asked for people to comment on that for expendables which was my full-length novel i actually i could have posted that again on the facebook group but i didn't um partly because I, i wanted to keep it the group a little bit smaller so I had one guy who beta read for me before who was brilliant he actually did two passes on the manuscript um and I think he was maybe an editor sort of in a formal life he's sort of retired now but he was absolutely brilliant um so he did a general commentary and then he did a sort of final proof check um and I had a couple of other people who I knew so I had one friend who I got to be to read it specifically because she a reads in the genre a lot lot and also from a technical aspect because I used her expertise on a couple of things so I wanted to sort of double check that came across okay she gave me some really good critical feedback Um, and my other beta reader was a teenager actually and I feel so lucky to have found her um, because I write it's young adult fiction which uh, and it's the kind of book which appeals to probably quite an adult market but I did want to get someone um, from that sort of age group to have a look at it particularly to give give me feedback on how appropriate it was uh, and whether I'd kind of cross any unwritten lines because you know there's nothing graphic in it but there's kind of off-page sex there's references to to violence the main character has a drug addiction so it's there's quite a lot going on there um, which some people sometimes warn off in terms of young adult fiction and I found her through a different Facebook group that I'm in which is more of a a kind of readers group Um, and it's one that a friend of mine set up and I just sort of posted in there saying I've got this book coming out I'm looking for anyone to read it and I got lots of people volunteering to read it from that but I only had one actually come back to me and it was actually the daughter of someone who was in that group and she said look I think my daughter might be interested in reading in reading it for you so that was really helpful.
1: Did you tie them down or give them any kind of guidance when they were beta readers? Because I've had beta readers, and I've got them from my list, and I found them fairly flaky, to be honest with you. So I'm just wondering whether you you give them very specific guidance, uh, timeframes, what you're looking for. How how does it work?
2: Yeah, so I do a questionnaire for them with specific questions, um, quite detailed. They don't obviously have to answer all of them. but it's the things that I feel specifically need feedback on, and then they can add any other feedback. And certainly for the teenage beta reader, I I sort of tweaked that slightly because there were some specific questions for her in terms of, as I said, the appropriateness and the age range. Um, So I sent that to them with um, a copy of the book, which I send via book funnel. um, And then, yeah, asked for feedback. I think I gave them three weeks maybe four weeks three to four weeks because it's quite a long book um and sort of sent a reminder towards the end of that time to to try and get some feedback
1: and how did you find that process the the feedback process did you are you happy to take it on board did you agree with all of it
2: yeah it was really helpful i mean i don't know if they were being nice but they <laughs> <laughs> they said nice things so so that was good and um, a couple of the things they picked up and um, all the minor things they picked up i pretty much implemented and changed there were a couple of sort of bigger things which I didn't really have time to perfect um, and I think it's it was one of those situations where I could have spent another few months another six months probably going round round and round and round of edits trying to kind of improve this aspect of it but actually I needed to get the book out and I'd kind of almost committed to a sort of publication date for the end of the year um, so there was a a bit of a, a judgment decision there around how, you know, how important is it to address this specific point? Um, or or is it a good enough book without that? And I went with the latter.
1: Fair enough. There's other jobs to do with the book as well. Um, the cover, obviously, and then actually getting the thing uh, formatted. What did you do about that, the technical bits?
2: So covers, I um, hired a cover designer to do those because there's, there's no way that I the expertise other the skills or the photoshop packages and stuff to do that so i've got the same cover designer to do all the covers in the series so they're consistent um, so i got that done last summer um, in terms of formatting i did the formatting myself using the Reedsy editor which is a free online tool so by this point i was like this book has costed me a lot which i knew it would because it's my first book but i was like if there's anything i can do myself then i'd rather do it and and it's just useful to know how to do that stuff so yeah, so I formatted using the Reezy editor, which gives quite a nice, uh, a kind of nice output. It's um, really good for the print. It wasn't quite so good for the ebook. You have slightly less flexibility, but I managed to, I managed to do that, um, and it came out okay. I think.
1: And did you? So you released it as a paperback and a electronic book at the same time? Did you simultaneously?
2: Um, I put the paperback up early, but really just so I could get. I had. Somewhere to put reviews on, Um, and I put the ebook up on pre-order just so I would have a link um, to be able to give other authors for newsletter swaps and and sort of marketing things. Um, But with the paperback copy, um, I put up an early version before I, so I put up a print version, ordered a copy of the book so I could proof, sort of proofread the print and check it printed out correctly, and then I basically whacked the price up to like nine. $99 ninety nine dollars or ninety nine pounds so no one would buy it mm-hmm. <laughs> left it there and then just amended the file sort of a few days before I launched with the final file.
1: I'm taking it then that did you kind of use create space? Did you use the um the no, PDP?
2: I use KDP. Yeah,
1: yeah, because okay. that's what put me off it. Because my, um, I've been doing it slightly longer than you, so I'd started in Create Space. W- wanted to get everything in the same place, but the reason I hadn't used it is because in Create Space I could get, I could pre-order it um, and check it beforehand, and then I can release it. Uh, and so, I, and I, they've now allow you to do that, I think, but they didn't at the time.
2: And um, yeah, they didn't. They did for some authors at the time. It was in, um, it was in a kind of testing beta stage but unfortunately i wasn't one of them so no so i couldn't i couldn't kind of do a sort of proof print copy for me so i had to go down the route of sort of publishing it but that, i mean that was fine like long time i'd much rather be able to do that before i upload the final version um but it it worked okay and sort of ktp print was straightforward i mean i think you know when i originally started on the journey like a year ago or a couple of years ago then create space was the obvious solution but i think Coming into it at the point I was, KDP Print was a more logical choice, I think.
1: Does it all come in the same dashboard? Do you get uh, do you use Book Report to look at your earnings? Does it all yeah. come in that dashboard? Yeah. Oh, that's nice You see. I'd like that because find a separate and yeah, don't like them. it.
2: Uh, no, I've got them next to each other. <laughs> mm.
1: I've decided I'm going to move into it. I've just got my um, seventh thriller to do. That's going to stay in Create Space, and then I'm going to move into the now. Now they let me do proofs. So I'm going to move into that. New system because I do want to um embrace it, but i I'll, I'll keep my kind of older first tier books in create space, I think just for tidiness but um, um yeah it's I'm, I'm pleased they're evolving and to be honest with you, all the signals are that create space is going isn't it now they've it's going it's it's not going to be there for much longer. I think the only question is how us old gits move our books over to the new system that'll be the i don't know what they'll do about that yeah
2: i don't know i mean i've heard from people who've moved over from create space to kdp print that it's been fairly straightforward i think um but i suspect that if they are going to close that size of the business down then they'll have to have some kind of migration over which will probably have its own issues but
1: (laughs) (laughs) we've got all that to look forward to yeah
2: yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so the book was ready um how did it go how did the how did did you have anything sort of arranged to, you've got pre-sales, you've already said that, but did you have a big launch organised? What what happened when it was released?
2: Um, I think probably by the standards of most, most authors, I had a very low-key launch. Um, I, had, I had quite a lot of stuff that I wanted to do and ran out of time to do some of it, um, sort of sorting all the proofing, formatting, everything like that, setting up my Amazon account because I was doing everything for the first time. It all took a lot longer than I thought it would. Um, and things like if you want to get, you know, reviewers review- on blogs, you have to send the final version to them like three or four weeks before. And I didn't have the final version complete three or four weeks before. So do all these these kind of things. So I've I'd, I I'd sort of been building up my uh, email list since July. So I, I've got a, I've had a number of people on there. And um, I did some newsletter swaps. Uh, with other authors for the launch week um, and I did a load of social media kind of promotional stuff um, Facebook, Twitter messages. Um, I decided to, I I thought about not telling friends and family (laughs) that it was out to try and avoid that whole skewing of the also-boughts but in the end I was like they're going to find out anyway. Some of them are kind of signed up to my mailing list or you know uh, like my Facebook page and you know what if they want to support me that's fine it's only going to be for the first book so I might as well milk it well they're happy to do that um so I think I did get sort of quite a few sales sales that way um I booked a Goodreads giveaway not sure I got much back from that really um I'm just having a look at my list here of what I did so I had an ARC team sent it out to them in advance and yeah, did did a bit of sort of build up with my newsletter list, but not not that much. The things I didn't do um, or ran out of time to do were, as I mentioned, sending to book reviewers for kind of editorial reviews um, to get some promotion that way. Um, booking promo sites, I had originally intended to do a bit around this, despite the fact that I, you know, I sort of decided that I'm not going to spend much on marketing until I've got at least three books out. Um, but I thought it might be worth it to try try and and get a bit of a boost. Um, But then I realized that you have to book the good ones quite a while in advance. Um, And you often, as a new author, particularly because I didn't have any books out already, you need a certain number of reviews to do that. And obviously I didn't have any reviews because the book wasn't launched or live and no one had read it. Um, So I figured that that was probably a bit of a no-go for this particular launch and something to look at in the future. Um, And Amazon ads. So I was going to look at doing Amazon ads. I kind of ran out of time. I did do a little bit of an experiment with that after the launch. Um but yeah, I, d- I didn't really use that as part of my launch strategy.
1: How did you feel about the launch? Was it better, worse, or same that you expected?
2: Um I think it was pretty much what I expected. Um I didn't quite hit my launch goals, which I was a little bit disappointed by. But to be fair, like coming up with those goals, it was a bit like finger in the air. I've got no idea how this is going to go I was hoping I would sell a few more to my list um which which I didn't I, I did sort of sort of break down how many I thought I had from my list and and sort of friends and families and things um I did manage to get I managed to hit my review goals so I got the number of reviews that I was aiming for and um, before launch and in the first month um I think it's difficult because when you haven't done it before you don't know what to expect and and I think there's always that little part of you, which people probably don't admit to, which kind of hopes that something will take off. And, you know, suddenly you'll see the rank going up and up and up and you'll get one of those nice little orange bestseller tags, which don't really mean a thing, but they're kind of quite pretty and nice to have. And, you know, you hope that some miracle will happen and, and things will, I don't know, explode or go big. Um, and that didn't happen, you know. Um, and I think if that doesn't happen to people then then either they're very lucky or they've got a lot of money behind them I think I think my I guess my kind of summary really of launching and what I learned from it is if you want to launch big with you know with one book then you either need a large dedicated following who are gonna buy your books and I'm talking thousands of thousands of people or you need a decent wad of cash to throw at promos and ads and you need to know what you're doing with them and and my decision was that I'm going to hold off a lot of spending on marketing until I've got more of a backlist to recoup the costs from it and and that was that's my decision Um, I think other people have taken a different approach and they've been successful with that Um, but that's I guess that's up for the individual author to decide.
1: Yeah, I think you need a platform, uh, and you can either buy that platform through advertising, as you say, or you'll, you'll have a platform, an existing uh, platform. I think, um, actually, it's worth pointing this out, because I've been doing this with internet marketing and writing for a while, is that your your expectations and your hopes always are, as you say, that something's going to fly, and that by some miraculous turn of events, it's going to pick up and, and, and do amazing things. But actually, often you have to, and you have to get used to this. You know, actually things come in under your expectation sometimes, and you have to get used to picking yourself up the floor uh, after that happens. I mean, resilience is, I think, something that you've got to have, isn't it? Because um, having put all that effort and all that money into that first book, uh, it would be easy to fall. I think at that first hurdle. Do, do you agree with that?
2: Yes, um, yes, yes, and no. I think. Um I think, although I hoped, you know, it would do better, like, realistically, I am kind of pleased with how it did. I'm very pleased with the reviews I've got. So um, the reviews I've got so far, not in terms of the number, but the sort of quality and what people have said of it. And, you know, it's got a 4.8 sort of star review on Amazon at the moment, and you know, pretty good feedback on that. So for my first book, I'm I'm really pleased with that in terms of the quality of what I've put out there. And that's something to kind of, um, to build upon. And yeah, it's a start. And I think one of the reasons, you know, I put a lot of money into this book, partly because it was a learning process. And, you know, I wanted to learn and develop and improve as a writer. And partly because hopefully this book is going to be earning that back for years to come. So as a contrast, um, you know, I've done a couple of short stories for anthologies and I've taken a different approach to them in terms of budgeting and had much lower costs because I knew I wouldn't get the returns from those books. So I think it's kind of looking at whether your investment is a long-term investment or a short-term investment and kind of making those budgeting decisions accordingly.
1: Let's dig into those other projects because you are, since we spoke, you've become quite a prolific author. Uh, on, on the oh, I wouldn't one. say that, no, that's
2: <laughs> at all. Well, I have a list of oh, four here. Oh, that's my name. Is <laughs> <I> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I guess I guess my all.
1: <laughs> so, so The Expendables was book one. That's the book we've been talking about so far. You had the prequel, yeah. which is... Um, out, out I've, I think I've spelt this wrong on my sheet. Outsiders, isn't it? So I've put outside.
2: Outsider. All
1: oh, oh right, I half got it right. So outside I've put It's not outside. I know it's not outside. So that's just my typing. Apologies for that. Um, And that's a free... Thank you. That's <laughs> that's, oh, a, well, that's. nice. Alison's holding up. We're doing this on a Skype webcam. Uh, and, and it's a nice... Uh, you won't see it, but it's. A, is that your calling card? This
2: is my business. This card, which I got through today, ready for conference at the weekend. Oh, it's very but, nice. Yeah, so I've got a link to, it, link to it on the back.
1: If you're listening to this, um, what will what, what I do? You'll have to send me a picture of it or something like that so I can put it on the resources page. It's very nice. I
2: can give you, I'll give you a copy at the weekend. Yes, of course, <laughs> yes, yes,
1: yes, yes, you can, yeah. Um, so, um, The uh, Outsider, which is – that's the correct title. That's the prequel. Um, when did you write that? Was that written – was it written afterwards or before?
2: Um, it was written – before so I I wrote it actually probably just after we spoke last time so I wrote it between getting my developmental edit back for expendables and rewriting it um so I I also got married last year so it was a bit of a crazy summer um so I basically wrote that in a couple of weeks it's a 13,000 word novelette and I released it in July um and it's exclusively for people who sign up to my mailing list so it's not available on Amazon or for sale at the moment, although I might review that in the future.
1: Yeah, you could stick it up for ninety-nine cents, couldn't you? Or, or free even, um, as a lead magnet.
2: Yeah, I thought about that. Um I think there are pros and cons to it. Um partly because the rest of my series is in or will be is in Kindle Unlimited. And if I put up a prequel which isn't in Kindle Unlimited, then that might annoy people. I don't know. Also it's quite nice to have something which is exclusive um but i am reconsidering that and i might um put it up for sale or as a freebie sort of in the run up to book three launch or something like that
1: i do think that um going free because my my two sci-fis were free for years a couple of years that's kind of that was what my approach was um i do think it hits your reviews being free have you have you been free with expendables yet have you done any kind of any kind of free or is it always been paid
2: um no it's already been always been paid and always been full price apart from a couple of days sort i did a sort of pre-launch period and in retrospect i should have probably kept it at 99 cents for longer um i've got a countdown deal coming up and but no but i haven't i haven't put it to free and i'm kind of saving that until probably until book three launches and i really hit the promotions and then i can hit the promotions on book one
1: yeah, I, well, yes, that's one of the things I've reconsidered. It's a curse-free, um, hard to break out of when you're in
2: it. Is that in terms of getting... So when you say it's a curse for reviews, is that in terms of getting bad reviews?
1: Yeah, I think you get more casual readers. So I think if you... My, my impression is, is that if you pay for a book, you actually take a little bit of time and trouble to work out whether you're the right reader for it. Whereas if you do free, I think it attracts a, a more casual reader, is my, my impression. And I... I I throw into the pot here experience with internet marketing, that the freebie seekers were always the worst customers. Uh, they're usually the most <clears throat> difficult customers. And it seems to be the same with books too, which doesn't mean that every free reader will give you a bad review. But I think that's sort of something for nothing attitude. I think it make, makes people mm-hmm. more careless about choosing a book. So if they read it and they think, well, that's not what I expected, I'll write some awful review. My, my perception is that the reviews tend to come down slightly. I've always had better reviews when I've been priced. Um always always they always you always get the the crazy ones when you go free in in, in my opinion
2: oh okay well maybe i'll maybe i'll keep it at price then <laughs> i mean i'm sure at some point i will get a one-star review or two-star review but <laughs> let's hold off that day as long as possible yeah, yes
1: i would if, if you can yeah Um, So you've also done a couple of, I'm really interested in anthologies, because you're part of a couple of anthologies. So um, Once Upon a Twist and Breaking the Myth, two anthologies with about, it's roughly about 10 people or so, if you counted them, it's it's that kind of number, isn't it?
2: It was supposed to be 10 in each, and we had a couple of last minute dropouts for various sort of, you know, justifiable reasons. So we ended up with nine authors for each. How did they come about? Um, so they came out about through another Facebook group. <laughs> I don't spend my life on Facebook. I was just going honestly. to, I was just going to you a very good yeah. for networking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, th- I think we were on, I think I was on the 20 books to 50K group and a thread started about setting up a British and Irish authors Facebook group. So just for British and Irish authors, as the, the name says. Um, and I was chatting to, the lady who set this up and, you know, agreed to sort of help out with that and be one of the admins. We set that up and then she suggested doing an anthology and she sort of posted in the group to say, why don't we do a fairy tales anthology and a myths anthology? Um, And sort of people posted to, or sort of, so she asked who was interested and I sort of said, well, I haven't actually got any books out yet and I'm a new author, but I'd love to take part. (laughs) So I kind of really thought, you know what, I've got nothing to lose, I might as well jump in and, and see what happens. And if nothing else, then I have a couple of short stories that I can then either re-release or give to my list or, you know, everything's kind of increasing the, the body of work that I've got. How
1: short is short?
2: Well, um, I'm not very good at writing short, <laughs> as you may have gathered, <laughs> which is a problem <laughs> I'm going to have to address best at some point um so my short stories they were supposed to be up to 20,000 words and um, one of mine came in at 20,000 the other one I managed to cut down to 24,000 um but actually the feedback I got on that particular one from my beta readers was that it would make a really good sort of longer novella or novel so I'm considering expanding that slightly before I re-release it
1: what sort of um, editorial control goes into an anthology like that, where it is a group? It's a group of peers uh, mainly. So, who who kind of has final say on whether that story is rubbish and should be turfed out, or whether it's good enough to go in?
2: Yeah. So, Laura Laura Greenwood, who was coordinating the anthology, so it was kind of her say. So, um, she did some. I think she did some research on people um, who. Sort of offered themselves up to do this, and I think quite a few of them were people she already knew or worked with. Um, sort of other authors in her genre. Um, both her and one of the other authors read Outsider, so they kind of offered to be to read. But I think we're probably just actually checking out to see if I could actually write a decent story. Um, so I, I suspect I managed to get in on the strength of that. Um, so so there was that kind of initial funnel about selecting who was going to be in the anthology, um, and. Then we were responsible for our own editing, proofreading, etc. And yeah, I mean, you know, the deal was if if anything wasn't up to scratch, then they'd scrap it from the anthology. Um, But fortunately, I don't think for anyone that was that was the case.
1: How does the money work with something like that?
2: Um, So we did it as quite a low budget um, thing. So we didn't put any market. In fact, there were no costs associated with producing anthology because the cover was designed by one of the authors who is also a cover designer and the formatting was done by another of the authors who is also a formatter so formatter so they were both professionally done um, but we didn't have any costs as a result of that which I think was really good and we didn't have a marketing budget which I think there are pros and cons to Um, and in terms of the money it's it's just sort of split equally so there wasn't any waiting I think I think there were various options discussed initially about whether to wait it according to story length or um you know or to whether to take some of the costs out of it for cover and formatting etc but i think in the end um Laura felt it was just simpler to go for a, stri- a, a straight split so the royalties come into her and then she pays them out to us
1: and did you do one of these horrible contracts which is longer than a marriage contract that says for 70 years after our death and all of that
2: no we had a, we had a contract um but it was it was fairly straightforward and it's a we only did it for an initial term of three months. Um, and it's ebook exclusive only. So you could do your own print versions if you wanted to separately join that time.
1: What was the strategy as far as you were concerned? Because it's not quite on your genre for the, your main books. They're, you know, fairy tales and myths, which is not quite sci-fi. They were dystopian. fairy tale
2: and myth retellings. So mm. my fairy tale was a dystopian retelling of The Ugly Duckling um and my myth ended up being a fantasy what are you laughing about what was it, what, what,
1: was it some kind of some kind of like zombie duckling or something or a, a mutant duckling yeah, from a play no, it was it
2: it was about it was about a girl called jane who um who didn't want to become a swan so it's a little bit of a twist on, on The Ugly Duckling. I mean, it's a very loose retelling, <laughs> and I would say. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a kind of dystopian society. Um, and it sort of plays on how women are treated in society and how beauty is perceived. Um, and sort of inner beauty versus external beauty and, and what really matters. Um, those kind of themes, which um, I was a little bit cautious about. I had one point where, you know, I guess you 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 have these ups and downs in your kind of in the author journey. And I had one night where um I'd posted the cover for the book. So the so my story and it was called Plain Jane. I posted the cover um looking for beta readers for the book. Uh, And and in the story my main character Jane has this sort of birthmark and disfigurement which she's had since birth. Um, So that's why she's the kind of ugly duckling. And the first comment or the first two comments I had on this Facebook post were, Oh, so a bit of dirt means someone ugly and oh I hope this isn't a usual kind of, you know, girl with glasses and pigtails suddenly blooms into this beautiful princess, which isn't what it is at all. But I just had this sudden stab of fear and I was thinking, what if people read this and get totally the wrong impression of what, you know, what I was trying to achieve with the book and what I was trying to say and the theme of it. Um, and I nearly I nearly wrote to Laura, who was the anthology person, and said, look, if you don't like this, you know, you don't have to put it in the book. It's fine. <laughs> and I think that was really, I mean, you have these kind of ups and downs. And then I had loads of people kind of commenting after that to say, this is an amazing cover. I really want to read it. I really like the sound of it. And as I said, the, the feedback from the beta readers I had was really positive. So, so that kind of soothed my ego a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, I did have a few fraught moments. It's a sleepless night over that one, I think.
1: Uh, it, only takes one or, of <laughs> no, it only takes one or two negative voices in your ear to put you right off, I think. Uh, I, I, I'm terrible. I can have 100 positive voices, but the negative ones are the ones that always hit me.
2: I'm exactly the same. And I think that comes back to that kind of whole resilience piece um, and the fact that you need to be resilient. And, you know, okay, fine. You know, go and, go and be glum and mournful for an evening. Mm. But then next day, you know, pick yourself up and, and get back on with it again.
1: I was gonna say that I think that's my only redeeming feature is that although I'm like that, I can always pick myself up every time and get back to it. So I kind of think with that they kind of even each other out then, don't they? Sort of, you know, have a little sulk and then get back to it sort of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, persistence is definitely the way forward. Um so yeah, so the, the, you're right, sort of going back to your original point, there was a mix of genres in in both of the anthologies actually. Um my original thought with it had been to do a story that would link into my dystopian series my main dystopian series that's what i plan to do that's what i should have done but could i come up with a story for the life of me i could not damn it <laughs> um i spent a couple of months trying to figure out a way i could get a fairy tale or a myth to kind of fit in with 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 my world really and in the end i came up with two completely different stories neither of which fit into my world so I think that's a little bit of a failure on my part, because um, quite a lot of the other authors did, you know, were a bit smarter in that regard and did sort of a prequel or a, a, a short story linking to one of their other series and worlds. Um, so that's something I definitely if I was doing an anthology again, I would definitely try and focus it more How? towards a, a longer series.
1: How how different was the experience of working in an anthologies to doing it on your own? I'm thinking in terms of sort of sales and traffic and, and the kind of traction you got from being a group of authors.
2: Um well we definitely got more traction from being a group of authors than for me on my own. So it does spread the the kind of marketing load. Obviously, you only get a cut of the profit. So it I think I mean I think from a financial perspective, unless you're putting probably some marketing money in there or unless you've got authors who've got, you know, a huge, huge audience and reputation. Then from a financial perspective, you can um and R ah about whether whether it's worth it. From a networking perspective, I think it's good. From a kind of sharing your name across other with other groups of readers and other authors, it's good. So I had quite a few people who liked my dystopian story um and hopefully they've gone on to read some of my other stuff um so I, th- I think there are probably pros and cons to it i think i'd be more interested in doing a future anthology which is more specific possibly to my genre that said fairy tales is very popular at the moment and so <laughs> the fairy tales one has definitely done better than the myths one um and i don't know if that's because we had slightly different authors and different kind of marketing power within that i should say that you know none of these authors are really huge but you know we, i was definitely one of the smaller authors in in both books um but you know we're not really really big name authors here so you know we didn't have i don't know the michael and or you know mm-hmm. Martels or may age or anyone you know like that in it who, who perhaps wields a little bit more power and we did it with zero budget which so i think anything you make from that is profit so i think that's a you know a good thing
1: how did you find working with other people in that quite a large group there's quite a lot of opportunity there for differing opinions
2: um yeah to be honest it, it was fine because it wasn't like um, a kind of co-authoring or collaboration where you're actually you know working with someone on the same story mm. so it was mostly decisions about you know where we're we going to put it in ku or go wide um and i think you know laura kind of had to handle the politics of that but there there weren't too many issues i don't think it was nice kind of chatting with other authors seeing what other authors are doing um and yeah we sort of each did our own marketing stuff based on what we were able to do what we had the time and capacity to do and what channels we had open to us
1: where are you now? Then, having you've got all those published, which is pretty impressive. Since we we first spoke, you know, when you think that for most people they get the first book out, and that that's it. So it's pretty impressive. Congratulations on that. Um, are you? Are, are we on book two? Are we? Are you in the middle of it?
2: In the- yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if you remember what I was saying about always writing too much, mm. um, yeah, that's my current problem. So my my schedule, which I kind of set for myself um last year was to have the first draft of book two done by Christmas. Um that didn't happen for various reasons. Um partly because I was doing the anthology story, so obviously that took a bit of time away from from writing um book two, partly because the launch took more time And effort and work than I thought it would Um, and also I got some problems with RSI which I had for most of the second half of last year which um, I struggled with I then tried to move to dictation but unlike most people who seem to kind of go from typing you know a thousand words an hour to like dictating 5,000 words an hour I kind of went the other way and I was actually much slower with dictating Um, so which I found really frustrating because I scheduled you know time to write and figured that you know I needed to do say three thousand words a day or two or three thousand words a day, but in that time allocation, I was only getting a thousand words or fifteen hundred words of of kind of finished work done um so basically everything just got further and further and further behind um and the short story is I'm still working on it <laughs> at the end it is in sight now, but um I still haven't finished, and um. It's not really like how I like to work. I prefer, you know, if I have a deadline, I much prefer to stick to my deadlines um, and deliver, particularly when you've got, you know, editors and stuff booked. But there wasn't really any help for it. You know, I'm doing it as fast as I can (laughs) and that's how it goes.
1: I knew that you were using Dragon, but I didn't realise that the impetus for that was RSI. I didn't realise you you'd had some RSI. Um, I, I, this is one of the things that I, touch would have not had but live in fear of and think I'm a two-finger typist and think I must get it eventually. Uh, w- what's it like and, and have you sort of got rid of it? Can you treat it? How do you deal with it?
2: It was really scary, actually. Um, I find it quite ironic that, you know, Joanna... P- Pen did a book called The Healthy Writer, and she put out a survey asking writers what their health problems was. And I filled in this survey, and I think it must have been the end of July, beginning of August. And I felt quite gleeful, saying I have no RSI problems, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. And then two weeks later, and um, basically what happened was that when I was rewriting this ninety percent of the book, a first book, um, I did something like an eighty-hour week, like wow. oh, just a really long condensed week because I was. On a deadline to finish it, and I was typing, typing, typing for kind of twelve hours a day, fourteen hours a day, on using the mouse. And my desk setup—it wasn't bad, but I had, um, I had quite a small keyboard and stuff. And and basically, I worked because I had this deadline. I worked through the pain when I should have stopped. Um, and I figured I had a couple—I had a ten-day holiday booked in September, and I thought I would recover. You know, give it ten days off, um, and it, and then that should be okay um it didn't recover um and when I came back to, to work it started getting worse again um so I had I think that there's kind of two you either get pain or you get like a nerve tingling or you get a bit of both I had a bit of both but it was mainly the nerve thing that worried me so basically it was mainly on my right hand a bit on my left hand but my kind of ring finger and my uh, pinky finger my little finger and that whole side of my hand would get completely numb and tingly um, and it got to the point where it was like that pretty much all day every day um, and you kind of start to worry if you're doing some long-term damage and, and because you know you know I earn money by writing effectively um, so not being at the computer is not really an option and I had a book launch coming up and I had another book to write and I had these short stories and things so yeah so I, I dealt with it by um, trying to move to dictation to reduce my typing and my time on the computer which did help despite the fact that dictation is a pain in the backside it helped my rsi um, and i also you know improved my workstation setup got a a better chair screen i got different mice to use i switched to my left hand completely so i'm right-handed i always used to control the mouse um with my right hand i now do 90 95 percent my mouse worked with my left hand so that took a bit of training as well to get used to I've got a different keyboard which I don't really like but is apparently going to be better <laughs> but again that's a bit slower um and I think certainly since in the new year um you know I'm trying to be a bit better about stretching taking short breaks stretching I have started doing yoga again which really helps um yeah but really I mean the main way to to get over it is to get away from the computer. And- and it's kind of easier said than done.
1: Presumably then you still get it?
2: Yes. Uh, yes, it has it's got a little bit better. Um and I've tried to be better at managing it, but it hasn't it hasn't gone. But I've kind of I went to my GP um four months later I eventually got a physio referral. Um but they did sort of nerve tests to check that there was no damage there. So there isn't, which is good. Um but I mean I, I to be honest, I think I think that long week that I had triggered it, but I have had a couple of issues with RSI in the past. I think, to be honest, you know, I've spent all my working life has been spent in front of computers and I've always worked fairly long hours. And I think it's just cumulative strain over that number of years that finally got to a point where my body was like, "Uh, hang on, you know, you're getting older. (laughs) You can't do this anymore. (laughs) You need to kind of look after yourself a bit better.
1: Uh, the, person, the purpose of this interview is to big you up, not to take you into all these painful journeys. But I am interested. Sorry, to, no, no. are crossing very
2: negative, then and I'm coming across. Well, oh, I, I, I so
1: promise sorry. I'll make it positive at the end. But I do want to talk about like, RSI because I, I just I think it, it's something that's so important for all of us. And um, I I interviewed Ewan, um, Doctor Ewan, who did the book with Joanna. And I said to him, yeah. when I talk when I think about healthy writer, I think RSI and back pain. That's what I think mm-hmm. of. That those are the things I'm I'm probably most vulnerable to as an author so you know again touch wood I've never had RSI but I have had discomfort uh, and mm-hmm. and like you I've I pushed through it because there's writing to be done now for you it's even more important because you are actually a freelance writer in your in your day job so in the way that obviously I want to write but I could still do my day job if I couldn't write the books. This is you. This is, goes back to the first interview we had. This is how you're bootstrapping the whole career is is by is by writing. So this is it's quite a frightening. Timeless.
2: Yeah, and that that's why it scared me really. Um, and also, you know, because because I'd given up that kind of well-paid office job where you have occupational health, and you know they're obliged to to pay for equipment to help you manage these things, and you know to force you to take time. Off, if you need to, and you know I'm terrible at forcing myself to take time off. For the best of times, so uh, I am my own worst enemy. Um, but yeah, it, it was pretty scary. One thing I have, I did find actually though, is that I found dictation a lot easier for nonfiction work than for fiction work. So my nonfiction blog posts that I do for that side of my business, I often dictate them and can actually dictate at a pretty good rate for those. Um, and I. Used it sort of intermittently for some of my client work as well for dictating. Um, again, just to kind of give my wrists and my arms break.
1: And how is how is the dragon going? Do you think you'll make it over the hurdles?
2: and I'm, I'm determined. I want to persevere with it because I want to. What I really want to be able to do is to go for long walks and to be able to dictate and work while I'm doing that. So I've signed up for uh, an ultra walk thing around the Isle of Wight beginning of May so that's 104 kilometers over two days so I need to fit some walking training in for that um, and I'd much rather be able to do that while, while I'm dictating stuff so at the moment because I've had this deadline for book two um, and because I've been a bit worried about getting that done I have switched back to the keyboard mostly for that um, I've changed my routine slightly to try and help me actually focus and and get those words down on the page. Um but at some point I do want to move back to the dictation. I still carry a sort of dictaphone around with me in case I get any ideas or inspiration strikes um, and occasionally I'll go out for a short walk and try and dictate something. I dictated a short story a few weeks ago whilst I was repainting my office. Mm. Um, so I felt quite productive then multitasking. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Dragon's one of those things. I I bought it. Uh, it must be a year ago now, and I still haven't really got it out of the box because I know there's going to be all this pain involved in doing it, and I'm just banging the books out too fast to have that. You know, you know, I, like you, yeah. I couldn't. I'm not prepared to take the disruption to my uh, target. So, uh, but then, you know, you always then live in fear of the the RSI or some limb discomfort coming to get you. And I know, I know, I ought to do it but I haven't done it. And I think I, that's why I wanted to sort of delve into your story a little bit because I think it's quite, you know, it's quite a good little warning story, I think, for people who keep pushing on.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, you know, I have had a lot of frustrations with Dragon and, and trying to get it set up. And, um, you know, there's two aspects to it. There's the actual software and getting that to perform as you want it to. And then there's your sort of mental processes and, and being able to kind of train yourself to to speak fiction rather than type fiction and um, which i know a lot of people do struggle with um, which is why i want to persevere with it because i know some of it is you know on my side um and you know i've had a couple of microphone issues and that type of stuff so you know if you've got a good quality kit then that does make a difference but there is definitely a learning curve to it and you have to invest a bit of time into that
1: Okay, so let's, you've had to let your schedule and your planning slip a little bit, and you've already flagged up in this interview the importance of getting those three books. It's the trilogies, that the magic, to the marketing and everything. So much comes together when you've got the trilogy.
2: Um, Mm.
1: When do you think you'll get the the kind of trilogy done and out?
2: Um, So I'm aiming to get book two out probably end of April, possibly beginning of May, depending on... When I can get my editor booked in to relook at it and how long that process takes. Um, book three, I would like to get out. I'm aiming for September. It, but I think what I've learned from this is that I just need to see how it goes and and how long it takes. And you know, I can put deadlines on myself, but the quality of the book has to come first. Um, and I do tend to write long books, so my first book came in at 113,000 words um, book two is probably I was aiming for ninety thousand, but I suspect the first draft will probably be around the same and I will try and cut it down a bit um <laughs> I should say though that you know that's really long for a young adult book, and a lot of people told me it was too long, including my editor um, but it's quite pacey, and everyone who's read it has commented on how pacey it is and page turning and no one's con- commented that it's too long so (laughs) um so I don't feel too bad about that it's just it's extra time and it's extra money in terms of the editing costs so I need to train myself to write shorter books um as a long-term aim (laughs) because then I could get them out faster
1: so when I first met you I think you were listening to my kind of podcast diaries and you were immersed you know in, in the podcast learning and just trying to get as much information as you can and now here you are I think it's fair to say an experienced self-published uh, author because you've done it four times now that makes you experienced. So wh- where where are we on your journey? You know, how how are you feeling at this moment in time and and and, and are you sort of infused by it uh, or, or or um challenged by it?
2: Um I still feel like a complete newbie. <laughs> and I th- I think I am, you know, a complete newbie. I mean to be fair, you know, of those four books only one of them i've actually personally i've actually gone through the publishing and full sort of marketing process on amazon um so i'm still definitely a newbie i think i think i kind of go between different emotions you know some days i'm super excited by it in fact most of the time i'm really excited by it like it's brilliant and i love it at the moment i've or recently i've been really frustrated with the writing process and kind of beating myself up a bit for you know not being a quicker writer not being a, a sort of good enough writer and then I remember that I felt like that on every story I've written so far and I just need to kind of push through that and kind of get to the end and And I know you know this isn't just me the other authors always say this. they're like you know every book I write it feels terrible and then apart from those people who are brilliant and can just you know knock out a book in a month and, and it's great but a lot of people I think do struggle with that which i do a lot and comparatonitis i struggle with a lot so kind of seeing other authors who are managing to put out a book in a few weeks or a month and and kind of wanting to be able to do that but at the same time accepting that i'm not that person and, and i i can't physically do that and you know perhaps further on in my writing journey when i'm a more proficient writer i'll be able to or i hopefully i will speed up and and be more efficient in terms of that process but you know I've got my own journey to follow and that's different to other people's journeys and I kind of have to make the best of that
1: and so your author dream then uh, in terms of where we're heading with all of this is it still to be a self-published writer do you want films do you want to be traditionally published now and let somebody take all the strain well, has it changed your author dream uh,
2: no no I still think I want to be um self-published indie author um yeah i find the trad indie thing quite interesting actually i think depending on what the project was i might consider a trad deal because it might take some of the strain off and enable me to to write more and get more books out but also concentrate on my indie stuff so i don't think i would ever be fully trad um but i'm not (laughs) anti-trad put it that way (laughs) it would depend and on the, the situation and the book and the, the terms and everything
1: congratulations on everything that you have achieved so far because that's amazing um you know most people just talk about that first book and never get the blasted thing out there you've done <laughs> way better than that so congratulations on that um where can we uh, find out about you where's the best place to find more about your books
2: okay so everything or nearly everything is on my website which is alisoningleby.com you- you can sign up for my newsletter there, which you, you basically get download a free copy of Outsider. Um, and I do occasional kind of short stories, which I post on my website for just a week or two at the time. But to be notified about those, you have to be on my newsletter list. Um, I've got a couple of blog post articles on my website, which is more targeted at authors. So it's basically what I learned from my first launch, um, or rather what I learned from writing my first novel, and then what i learned from publishing my first novel Um, so there's just a bit more on kind of my experience of doing that what i felt worked well what i struggled with Um, so you can find those on my website as well if you're interested in those and i'm on twitter and facebook
0: thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys if you enjoyed the show please consider sharing it with your indie author friends or you can leave a review on itunes stitcher or whichever podcast directory you use In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.